the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. It's good to be with you as it is each and every day from 3 to 5. We talk about the issues of the day from a Christian perspective. You know, lots of things going on in the world today, of course, and uh, Israel, of course, is at the top of the list. There's a lot of other things going on, and we'll get to some of those things. But, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is we, you know, and I've noticed this in a lot of conversation and emails I get, and uh, from many of you, I can't respond, by the way, to all the emails I get, but, uh, and if you uh, think maybe I did, or I said it, check your spam, it's probably in there. But, um you know, there's a lot of questions that people have about history or a lot of statements people make about history that are sometimes wrong. Um, and, you know, I realized when all of this was happening that even I, as a as a history major and kind of a, a news buff, as a biblical teacher, was ignorant of a lot of different things going on in the world. And, you know, I think as we go through this crisis, wherever it takes us, it's a great lesson for us to try to understand the best we can what actually is happening in the world because so much is being said that is not correct that is ignorant and a lot of it's coming from higher education right a lot of it's coming from stuff we learned from somebody how many things do you think that we think we know we know that we don't really know meaning that we learned it somewhere we heard it from somebody that we trust and we accepted that to be true because we heard it from somebody we trust or from some source that we trust or from somebody that we ought to trust. I wonder how much maybe are things that we think we know about that we don't know about. I was, you know, last week we did a, a piece on the New York Times and several other newspapers that went with a story about Israel bombing a Hamas hospital. Remember that story? Maybe you haven't even heard that that story wasn't true, that the hospital bombing, number one, the hospital didn't get bombed at all. The second thing is Israel didn't shoot down or fire the missile that landed next to the hospital. A missile did land next to the hospital. It was fired by Hamas or another Islamic Jihad group from Gaza and landed in a parking lot next to the hospital. And a few people likely got killed. It's kind of dispute how many, but nowhere near the 500. So the New York Times issued a story that they heard from Hamas right after that happened. And the story said, the story said, um, Israeli, Israelis bomb hospital over 500 dead. And that story wasn't true. They didn't bomb the hospital. Israelis didn't even send the bomb. And uh, there's far fewer than that dead. And part of the issue that we talked about last week when this happened is that the headlines that were online and the headlines that in today's digital world – uh, get sent around the world in an instant. Uh, that story got sent around the world in an instant. Many Middle Eastern countries were enraged by it. Many student groups were enraged by it. People just believed it. It comes from the New York Times. 
The New York Times, by the way, drives the news. If you want to know what the other newspapers are probably going to be talking about, you look at the Times first. It is, in a way, how our our system works. And uh, I don't think it should work that way because I think we should have a lot more independent journalism. But that tends to be how it goes. So the Washington Post ran with the story. So did the Wall Street Journal. Uh, so did the many other news uh, sources, including the BBC uh, overseas and several other places. And the story wasn't true. What we talked about in our show last week was how the story got memory hold. And memory hold is a reference to the book 1984, which I highly recommend that you read. It's very relevant for today. But the idea is that Big Brother and an organization that was part of Big Brother called the Ministry of Truth in that book uh, is really the Ministry of Untruth. And they would literally take and this book was written in 1949, okay? So the, the idea of memory hole, it, it's a literal hole that a group of people at the Ministry of Truth would do to drop magazines or newspapers or articles into where they didn't want people to know that story existed or where the story had changed. So sometimes they just didn't want you to know something at all about the past that had happened, and they would just they could physically destroy that media. And or sometimes they would change things. So say that Big Brother, who would be sort of like the president, would come out and say, we expect that inflation is going to go down to 2% next month. But in fact, it goes up to 7% next month. What they would do is they would take every place that it was in print where Big Brother said that inflation would go down to 2% and they would burn it and destroy it and then republish it as and saying as if the president said it would go up to 7% just to make him right. And even though you might have heard him say 7%, in time, people start to question their memory and then, look, I go to the library and what's in print is that he actually got it right. And so what the Ministry of Truth would do is they would protect the narrative and protect the leadership, and this was a form of oppression in that society. The way that's playing out in today's world is that because so much is driven digitally, the digital stories that you read in your newspapers or just on a website somewhere, they can be changed. And usually there's some kind of tab that says the story was updated. And sometimes if you read a lot of news, I do online, there'll be a note somewhere at the top or at the bottom and it says this story was updated, you know, and sometimes it'll tell you why. Sometimes it just corrects a name or it's a misspelling. You know, there's an awful lot of that today um, because people aren't educated. Or, But sometimes it changes a material fact, or sometimes there's additional evidence that has come out since the printing of that article. And, you know, if it's good journalism, then what they do is they leave the article alone, but then they have an update that says this article is incorrect where it says, you know, these things. That would be better. And what was what happens, unfortunately, with the news – and by the way, if you get print news, like a newspaper, some of you maybe still get that – you know, the truth is, is that print newspaper is yesterday's news. It just is. It's things move so fast uh, these days. Well, unfortunately, the journalistic standard is still kind of the same. You want to be first to get the story. And there is an agenda much of the time, particularly um, with the big newspapers. And usually it's a left wing agenda. And there was probably some, what my, I interpret many people would, as an excitement, not about a hospital being bombed, but about the narrative being turned against Israel. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to see that in time because that's part of the bias. That's part of the uh, protests and things that we've seen. We'll talk about that a little bit more today. 
but they changed the headline from Israeli bombs hospital to hospital is bombed to blast at hospital. It kept changing. And what they're doing is kind of memory holing it. And a lot of the world, because that initial article actually got people killed. I mean, it, it enraged people and it was never true. And they should not have gone with it. They should have waited. You know, or they should have just gone with the simple thing where it it hedges and it says something like blast near hospital is reported. And then you wait until you get the reporting. It didn't take very long, a couple of hours for the story to get corrected. And then just a few more hours for the story to be, you know, for photographic evidence and other things to come forward. Well, I complained last week that the New York Times, you know, in, in today's world, you just memory hole it and you kind of pretend that it never happened. And that's what was going on. But they got so much flack from around the world that the editors of the New York Times today actually have an editor's note. Um, and it says Gaza hospital coverage. And they sort of uh, apologized uh, on October 17th. So read six days ago, six days. It has done so much damage over six days. They could have apologized immediately. October 17th, the New York Times published news of an explosion at a hospital in Gaza City, leading its coverage with claims by Hamas government officials that an Israeli airstrike was the cause that hundreds of people were dead or injured. This report included a large headline at the top of the Times website. That's correct. Israel subsequently denied Palestinian faction. I'm just going to skip through it. Palestinian faction group uh, Islamic Jihad uh, is they later denied. Uh, Americans and other officials said the evidence in the group indicates that the rocket came from a Palestinian fighting positions. Uh, Al Jazeera, the the Arab television network, actually has a video of it. Uh, he's clearly coming from uh, the Gaza side of it. And they kind of go on several paragraphs to sort of apologize and indicate that because of the sensitive nature of news during a widening conflict about the prominent you know, Times editor should have taken care, more care with the initial presentation and have been more explicit about what information could be verified. You know, I wonder what kinds of things we believe because we heard about them and they turned out not to be true, but we never got the retraction, right? We never heard that didn't happen. And I mean, in all kinds of things, not just historical events or news, but even personally, you know, how many times have you heard something about somebody but you never found out later that that story was never true. You ever wonder about that? You ever wonder if you've had like a, a bad thought about a person and it's because you heard some kind of gossip that turned out not to be true or it turned out to be incorrect or maybe you just heard it wrong or maybe you applied some you know bias that you have towards something that somebody else said and they, they didn't really say what you thought they said. This happens all the time. It's just a, it's part of, I think, being human in a way, but it's part of the discipline and the maturity to be able to say, you know what, there's an awful lot going on. There's an awful lot of tension. There is an awful lot of agendas that people have that we may not even know about, that we may never know about, that can twist the truth around. And as we go through this crisis, I think it's something that we have to be very sure about, that maybe there are things that we believe or things that we understand, but we've never really looked into it. And this is especially true if what you've heard or what you believe 
confirms something that you want to believe or something that you've always heard, or especially if it comes from somebody trusted. See, it's, if you hear information that comes from, let's say you are liberal and you hear it comes from Fox News, your your thought might be not to trust it because you don't trust Fox News or vice versa. If you're more of a conservative person and you hear it comes from CNN, your thought might be, well, it came from CNN. I'm going to look into it further, you know, because I don't like it. You know, unless it came from MSNBC, then everybody knows it's not true. Nah, I'm kidding about that. Well, sort of. See, I have a bias there. Um, 888, by the way, this is Pastor Scott show, 888-528-2557. If you want to join the conversation, 888-528-2557. This is increasingly important in a world of artificial intelligence, where soon, if it's not happening already, you might hear voices from famous people, even presidents or leaders around the world, saying things that they didn't actually say that somebody in their basement uh, came up with with a software program, and it sounds really good. That's coming very soon. There's already people tinkering with that that have created some problems, what's true and what isn't. There have been photos, you know, that are posted all over social media from uh, Israel and uh, elsewhere, even with some other things, but especially with Israel right now. Some of those photos are real, but some of them are fake, or some of them are old battles. Some of them are video game footage, actually. There's some there's some stuff that was video game footages that looked real to me. I thought, what kind of games are these out there, you know, that uh, I don't let my kids play, but I know exist, that is so good that people are able to fraudulently put them out there as real uh, video from the battle. That's the world we live in. And I think that's a world that the devil likes, to be quite honest with you, that it is a world of confusion. It is a world where people are easily fooled and where people are easily put into a position where they might misbelieve something and then act on it. See, that the problem with things that are not true is that you ultimately act on it. When somebody lies to you about something, it alters reality, but it, it doesn't really alter reality. It alters your vision of reality, if that makes sense. It, and that's why it hurts so bad, because eventually when you find out that you were lied to, you might have taken action. You know, you might have actually made a decision based on something that you heard was not true. And then that decision turns out to be a bad decision that you would not have made had you heard the truth. And we live in a world, frankly, where we don't want to even acknowledge that there is truth, right? We live in a world where we find that uh, there are movements out there to suggest that there aren't that there aren't um, that there are things that are not true, or that truth is not a real thing, and that you can kind of have your own truth. It doesn't really. Uh, and that sounds like such a crazy thing, but that is the world we live in. I'm wondering how many people have changed their mind in the last couple of weeks because of what's happening in Israel, um, particularly about the existence of evil or particularly about the idea that maybe there are things that some people believe that we should not be uplifting. And I say that because, and I, I'll repeat this a lot because I think it's a big problem, that in the modern sort of way of philosophy that we have, where we are beyond the Enlightenment, when we are beyond, um, you know, a period of time where people actually cared about evidence and things like that, we sometimes want to believe that evil doesn't exist, that 
if we just figure out the right policy, if we just figure out the right thing to say, if we just figure out, you know, how to help somebody with their problem, then they wouldn't do evil things. This doesn't make sense, actually, in the, world, in the real world, because there's just a fact about human nature. People do evil things. That there is evil. And sometimes people do evil things because they are evil people or because they are part of a philosophy that teaches hate, that doesn't teach hate in a obscure sense where, you know, if you disagree with somebody politically, then you must be hateful. That's what we're teaching now. That doesn't make sense. But some philosophies, including the philosophy that runs Hamas and including the philosophy that runs jihadists out there, that that philosophy where infidels need to be killed, which is ultimately the plan, by the way. First, you kill the Jews and you get them out of Israel. You destroy Israel. Then you kill all the Jews elsewhere. But then you go after everybody else in this terrorist philosophy. And you go after the Christians, but you also go after any other religious belief. And you, by the end of it, you go after your own who don't quite fit into your denomination, if you would, in Islam. Do we think that it is an acceptable form of a way of life or leadership to believe, say, as Hamas does, that the goal is not peace, the goal is not a two-state solution, the goal is very simply to destroy and kill the enemy. Is that something that people can live with in the world today? See, I think that you can't. I think that if our neighbors, Canada and Mexico, were sworn enemies of the United States, where they planned to murder us or vice versa. Let's say we're sworn enemies of them. Our goal, our stated goal in our constitution is we are tired of Canadians, eh? And we think that we should wipe them out and that Canadian blood should be spilled, you know, all across the Northwest Territories, whatever we might, you know, say horrifically. I would expect them to have a massive military and I would expect them to put up a significant wall. Um, it is a it is something that you wouldn't put up with that they wouldn't put up with we wouldn't put up with it either and that gets into the heart of what a problem is in our culture today you keep hearing this word decolonialize uh which doesn't really fit the situation there but if you if you look at it almost nobody is sitting on land somewhere that they own or that they rule that always belong to their people that's almost none of the earth is that way um and there is a a philosophy the reason that one of the reasons that so many people are supportive of even Hamas and by the way a poll came out from Harvard Harris Harvard Harris poll just this weekend that said most Americans do not approve of what Hamas did, regardless of whatever they think of Israel. They think that Hamas is a terrorist group and that Israel should respond somehow militarily and that what Hamas did is an act of terrorism. But you know what? 51% of people in the age group 18 to 24 actually think that what Hamas did, knowing full well, raping women, murdering babies, and that kind of aggression is justified. 51%, so half of our college students think that's okay. How can anybody think that's okay for any reason, regardless of whatever you think of the, the other side? Uh, the answer is because if you've been taught your whole life that colonists 
are the worst sin and that the worst thing that you can do is tell some other culture how they ought to run themselves, then it's not up to us to say to jihadists that what you're doing is evil. Because who are we to say something is evil? Like in this country, well, we would object to the idea of murdering babies, probably. Well, maybe we don't, to be frank. Whole other subject. But we would object to that kind of thing, you know, at least openly. But the idea is this. Hey, if some other culture wants to do that, then we're colonizing them by telling them that their way of thinking is somehow less acceptable than ours that it is somehow less moral than ours, that it is somehow less right than ours. And that is the problem. The reason for that philosophy, by the way, is that if you say that, then you don't have to deal with right and wrong. You don't have to deal with, well, what happens if we discuss the, the situation over there and we talk about religion? And if we talk about religion and we read what Hamas says about themselves and their goal religiously to kill Jews and kill infidels, which it states right in there, you know, openly, right in the uh, Hamas charter. If we get into that subject, then we're going to have to make a moral judgment about whether as a civilized world we want to accept that as possible. And because we don't want to have that conversation, then you have... Hamas and you have Hezbollah and you have ISIS and you have the Taliban and you have other people who follow that and you have women who are not educated and you have a whole lot of things that we in the West would object to uh, in our own culture, but we don't object to that anymore because if we object to that, then somehow we're saying that our way of thinking is better than that other way of thinking. And if you do that, then you open up Pandora's box on everything. Pretty soon you're going to have to say, maybe some religions aren't true and, and scrape off your coexist bumper sticker. Maybe you're going to have to say that some philosophies or religions lead to violence and death and global problems, and we should not tolerate them. Maybe we would have to make that. And if you say that, then you're going to have to say, well, which ones are right and which ones are wrong? And pretty soon all religions are not the same. And pretty soon maybe all religions are wrong or maybe one of them is right. And if you say that, then suddenly you have to submit to that God. Suddenly you have to submit to a worldview that maybe you don't want to even open up the door to. Well, I'm here to tell you that there are worldviews that are true and worldviews that are false. And that is something that we have got to accept. Otherwise, we're going to see the world get plunged into a terrible combat here simply in, in many ways because we don't want to have that conversation. Uh, there's a lot more to it, obviously, than that. But I think that's a big one philosophically. This is the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. When we come back, I'll talk to you about a couple of uh, different philosophies that are, are driving all of that, and I'll take your calls, 888-528-2557. This is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. I know there are no words that can express our sorrow and grief over the loss of those splendid young men and the injury to so many others. I know there are no words also that can ease the burden of grief for the families of those young men. Likewise, there are no words to properly express our outrage, and I think the outrage of all Americans, 
at the despicable act, following as it does on the one perpetrated several months ago in the spring that took the lives of scores of people at our embassy in that same city, in Beirut. But I think we should all recognize that these deeds make so evident the bestial nature of those who would assume power if they could have their way and drive us out of that area, that we must be more determined than ever that they cannot take over that vital and strategic area of the earth, or for that matter, any other part of the earth. That was President Reagan 40 years ago when uh, the Beirut bombing happened, where um, Islamic jihadists, as they uh, became known as, uh, bombed a uh, barracks that the United States Marines were staying in Beirut there to keep the peace uh, as things were continuously kind of out of control in the same way. 307 people died, 241 Americans were died, mostly Marines happened then. The group was called Islamic Jihad, and it's a predecessor to Hezbollah, which you'll be hearing more about that. Hezbollah is like Hamas, but they're much bigger. Uh, they're in uh, the Israel's occupied uh, West Bank area, um, and uh, that group took responsibility for the bombing. The interesting thing is we didn't really respond to that in a military way. Most people believed then, as they do now, that Iran is the one actually sponsoring that group the country of Iran, but uh, the Reagan administration gets criticized for all these years later. At the time, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. But terrorism, they believe that the idea is that terrorism got the notion that it was okay to also kill Americans for the first time. And uh, after that, you know, there was a lot of terrorism and hijackings and uh, bombings around the world in different places. Uh, It stopped eventually for a time when Americans uh, fought back, particularly uh, against uh, Muammar Gaddafi. Um, This is a long time before his uh, demise in the Obama administration and that Benghazi controversy. Um, And then, of course, there was uh, the... World Trade Center bombing was at 93, I think, and then the World Trade Center in 90 in 2001, um, and a lot going on. It raises a lot of questions about the world today, that this group of terrorists, just like them, did so in order to to kill infidels. Um, and there is a religious element that is behind it. And you can't ignore that in the discussion of things. And uh, it's it gets tricky in a world today that doesn't want to acknowledge that maybe there are some different ideas uh, that you can't live with. This is the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Rudy and Brea, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Thanks for taking my call, yeah. Pastor Scott. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I just, I, I've been listening to your program for the past couple of weeks. Um, I've heard a lot of compassion and sympathy for these Israeli victims, as you know, as it should be. But I don't understand why it seems like you're like the spokesperson or like almost like a Israeli military apologist, where it seems like or you gloss over um, anything, any reports about civilians or even women and children or some of the tactics being used by the Israeli military. You know, I don't, I don't hear you raising those those uh, points up. Mm-hmm. So I wonder why, um, I wanted to ask you why. 
why that is. Sure, I appreciate that question, and I uh, thank you for that. You know, one of the things I've been expecting is a, a very bloody incursion into Gaza. That hasn't happened yet. Uh, I think that will happen. I think when the Israelis say we're going to destroy Hamas, I think they mean that. Uh, I think there's there's a whole lot of reasons. Maybe there's political pressure or maybe, you know, they want to do more from the air and the battle from that. And you're right. There is going to be massive loss of life, and it'll be much heavier in Gaza than in Israel at the end of the day. Uh, it's probably already there. And there will be you know, innocent people's a civilians, you know, uh, collateral damage, we used to say, right? Uh, people that aren't aren't militants who are going to die. Um, and there will be women and kids. And some of it's because the the Hamas people use the women and kids as shields. And that's something the whole world acknowledges. But even if that were not the case, I would expect that we're going to see terrible bloodshed. Um, and it's all horrible. All of it is is terrible. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of those pictures here fairly soon and it's going to be awful there will be tremendous pressure you know right now most of the world governments are supporting israel's right to respond militarily um but i think there could be so much death um and carnage that there will be that pressure will will turn against israel at some point i think that will likely happen you know the the loss of life is all horrible so it brings us back to if we want to stop the problem overall, we have to get to the core issue of why it's happening, and we cannot pursue we cannot pursue uh, narratives that are also not correct. You know, I think that maybe one of the statements we may talk about this in the next hour, just to be clear of what free Palestine means to Hamas, which may not be the same thing it means to some of these people in these marches. Um, but Tomas, it means kill all the Jews and wipe out Israel. That's what it means. Um, you can't have a neighbor who thinks that and who acts on it without responding somehow. And I think maybe what might be coming out of this is maybe we free Gaza from Hamas. That may be the best case scenario here to prevent more bloodshed is that Palestinians who are tired of it, who are not supportive of Hamas, um, if they could rise up, right, or if, you know, there would be still bloodshed, but it would end the problem. The philosophy is the problem. Hamas has run, has had the Gaza Strip to themselves for, since 2005. Well, they got, let's see, Israel left in 2005 and Hamas got elected in 2007 and 8, that time frame. And they have not built infrastructure. They just built weapons. And it's Hamas that's keeping people poor. It's Hamas that is keeping that situation horrific. And that has to be me, addressed somehow. I, I agree that Hamas should be eliminated, but if if it's true that they're sovereign, how is it possible that Israel can cut off electricity or have a or stop all all incoming food and water? Yeah, like, that's. I, I, I can't imagine it with the same amount of energy that you spend on Hamas. I don't see why. You, you don't also mention that Israel cut off electricity and there's babies in the hospital who need uh, care and how that's that's somehow justifiable. But if Hamas sends rockets and does the same thing to babies, that's not justifiable. I don't I don't see that. And 
I'm not saying that they shouldn't respond. And I mm-hmm. think what your the question the true question is how, what what should we do about this? And I and I think Israel responding in the way that they're doing is actually fostering more hate and maybe giving even more power to Hamas. And I think strategically, it does that doesn't make sense to me. If they, if Israel is, is, because if Hamas has, if Hamas has the, doesn't have any bargaining power and can't, and then, then the solution is, is easier because, because Israel, if Israel continues in the way that it does, then I think Hamas will continue to garner, I don't know. Support. I think it's the it's the way that Israel reacts in the, such a strong way that gives the, the Palestinians a cause for for calling death to Israel. I guess. I guess. Yeah, yeah, I I understand what you're saying, and a lot of people are arguing. You know, kind of your point here is that they will go too far. The if, if that's possible in the sense that if they do not, for example. Uh, destroy Hamas somehow, or if they do so, but in the context of doing that, they kill every you know two million people over there. Uh, that may bring more war to their borders from other places at some point, right? But here's you know there's a lot of things in your comment here. The first thing I would say is the reason they can cut off water and stuff is because for 18 years they have not bothered to put in any water supply. They have not bothered to govern. They and the reason is is in their charter that's not their goal. Their only goal is to kill Jews. That's that's what they are for. They are not for a two they are in fact against a two-state solution. They are against peace. And they in fact mocked the other Muslims and other Palestinians who have tried for a two-state solution or peace. They call them out as as bad Muslims in the charter, which I would encourage everybody to read. So the question comes down to and this is a hard question for anybody, how do you respond? And at what point are you responding in a way that is, you know, there's a whole theory, just war theory. You've probably heard of that, the just war theory. And the, the trouble is with war at all is it's all terrible. It's just all horrific. But sometimes there's a justification for going to war. And one of the most simple justifications is, is when you get attacked by a group that wants to eliminate you. That's the same reason that people eventually went to war against Hitler and a lot more Germans and a lot more uh, Nazis were killed than, uh, well, that's, I don't even know if that's true as far as the number goes, but certainly the Nazis were devastated more than other people. Probably more Russians killed than anybody else, actually, uh, in that war. Lots of civilians were killed. Lots of civilians were killed by the Allies and Allied bombs. All of it's terrible, but were the Allies not justified in fighting back against Hitler? You know, if if 10 people come to your house to stab you and you happen to uh, shoot all 10 of them, is that did you do something wrong? Because it's 10 lives to your one. It seems like the weight would be on. Well, you must have done something wrong because you killed 10 and they were only going to kill one. Should you lay your life down because you're outnumbered? The answer is no. And so it it gets complicated. And the, the reason it's complicated is partly because war is terrible. It is the expression of evil in the world. It's all bad. Number two, in this case, you have a religious element, you have a historical element, and you have ethnic hate that is very deep and very old, and it is ingrained 
in religious teaching um, that is um, if you're a fundamentalist in that, then you got to hold to it. Uh, and that's a tough place to be. So I understand your questions, but what I would really try to do is ask, well, what would what would you do if your neighbors were genocidal against you and they were killing your family and you had a right to be where you are? What would you do? And I think that's the hard part. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Israel to not do some of what they want to do, but we'll see how it plays out. Uh, Rudy, I got to take a break. I thank you for your question. That's and it's a great question. It really is. I think the answer is you've got to get into what is the truth about that situation over there. What is the history of it? What do the people actually believe? And you've got to get into who attacked who. Israel has been attacked repeatedly since they were made a nation in 1948. And what people need to understand is in the same decree that made Israel a nation, Palestine could have said, yes, we'll be a state also. And it would have included Gaza. It would have included the West Bank and a lot more territory. And they said no. And the reason they said no is because they hate Jews. They don't want an Israel. And therefore, for that small group of people that was in charge, uh, it was unacceptable. They went to war the next day, literally the next day against Israel, and they lost. And they've gone to war multiple times since then against Israel. And they lost. In some cases, they lost land. In some cases, Israel gave it back. In uh, one case, Israel is still occupying an area. Other than that, everything they've given back. It's you got to get into the truth of what happened there. And there, there are narratives that are simply not correct. I got, we'll come back to that later in the show. This is the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557. I see your calls, Chris and Ted and others. We'll get your calls when we come back in just a minute. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. I apologize. I have to go into the situation with another issue. I have to do. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was uh, President Biden a couple hours ago abruptly leaving a speech in a room saying, uh, you have to excuse me, I need to go to the uh, the situation room. I apologize. I have to go to the situation room with another issue. I have to do. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Situation room is a, a room in the White House uh, complex uh, where you deal with situations. So we'll see what that means. Maybe it has nothing to do with uh, Israel or something else. But, uh, you know, there are things coming in, in all of this, and uh, we'll have to wait and see. This is the Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Chris and Whittier, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hey, Pastor Scott. Man, I swear you fill my head with so many things to think about. I swear my hat size has grown two inches. But well, I should open a hat store. Idea. I can be a, I can be a haberdasher. Is that what that is? Somebody yeah, sells hats. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. This idea of tolerance has been the harboring harbinger of so many evils in this world. And I mean, right now, that's like probably the highest value on the left is the idea of tolerance. I remember watching this special on National Geographic about this tribe in Brazil that would subject their young boys to this ordeal where they put gloves on their hands and were full of bullet ants. And it was horrific pain. It was a, a rite of passage for their warriors. And I remember them painting this picture as like being interesting but so beautiful and how their culture hasn't been diluted. The thought came to me, if I heard a young guy screaming next door to me, and I went out there and they were having this wonderful ceremony of 
passage where they were torturing a young child with bullet ants? Do you think I would just let that pass and say, well, it's just a beautiful culture that's not mine. We must all tolerate. Hell no. I would jump right into the fray and save that kid because there's some things that just cannot be tolerated. And that is part of the hard part. The the father of all non-tolerance, it's God himself. That's why he put his staff in the ground and said it stops gear and no further. Yeah, there is evil in the world, and it cannot be tolerated. And, you know, eventually Jesus comes back and he destroys the evil in the world. And it's violent passages. You know, Jesus came first and laid himself down uh, as a lamb to the slaughter, which was violent. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, why did Jesus have to go through all of that? Why couldn't he just say, I forgive you and bring everybody up? Well, you know, somebody's got to die. There's blood being shed in sin, and justice requires some kind of weight uh, and balance. Um, sure. Well, that young man that spoke before me in the last break, God bless him for calling in, having the courage to articulate his point. And you were brilliant and right on the money with all your logic in answering him and with compassion. But I fear it's not going to touch what he holds because he doesn't hold those views as points of of uh, understanding. He holds them as articles of faith. And when you hold something as an article of faith, you don't lean onto your own understanding, as the Bible would say. Yeah, you lean into your faith, and probably carrying on a tradition that went back generations in his family line. Yeah. And that's why that's the heart of that problem is Hamas and all the people that are like that. They were elected into the government of Gaza. That means everybody that voted for Hamas is culpable for their actions. And it's a cultural thing that's been held as an article of faith, not as understanding. Because if there was understanding, then what you just said in the last 12 minutes or so, that should have set the entire world straight right down the center plumb line. Well, I think... perfect understanding. I appreciate your call, uh, Chris. I want to get to some other callers here. You know, and, and as far as our, our last caller, uh, Rudy was his name, and hopefully he, and really with everybody, the reason we talk about this is I think that when we think about it, we can change, you know, our perspective, especially, you know, I'm not sure where he's coming from specifically, you know, but some people have been told, for example, you know, that, in fact, I heard somebody was online, this video where these people in these protests were talking about how Israel militarily, you know, took over all of Israel and they weren't even there. And none of the story was true. None of it's true. There is, there's a whole lot of things that people have had fed to them and that's where I'm getting that. And that can be other subjects, too, in our own lives. You know, how often do we question what it is we know, especially when it starts to smack up against the reality that we're seeing in the world? Uh, just war principles and the idea of how can this be, you know, what's, what's a justified response, you know, from Israel? That's a hard question. Some response is justified, for sure. What is that? When does it go too far? Um, who gets to make that determination? All of those things are difficult, um, but they're impossible if you cannot acknowledge that there is evil. They're impossible if you cannot acknowledge the intent of the aggressor in this case. Um, and, um, you know, it's, 
it's something you cannot just ask a country that's entire existence is determined on getting these questions right. You know, for us, we've made some mistakes. We did, Biden said it the other day, I think he's right. You know, some of what we did after 9-11, it didn't turn out right. It maybe wasn't our intention, but it didn't turn out right. We made mistakes in Iraq. We've made mistakes in other places. He did. He made mistakes in how we pulled out of you know, Afghanistan and those things. You just don't know. But in our case, it's not immediately threatening our existence. In Israel, that's something that I think people need to understand. Every single one of these decisions literally threatens the existence and life of everybody there in a country that's smaller than the state of New Jersey, in a country that has less people in it than Los Angeles County. It's they cannot wait. They cannot make a bad decision. They are under personal, you know, every possible threat uh, they are dealing with. We don't have that context uh, right now in our country. We never have had that context. Even in 9-11, even in Pearl Harbor, we did not have that context. Maybe we, I don't even think we had it in the War of 1812 which we don't know much about. We lost that war, by the way. I mean, they burned the White House for crying out loud. You ever hear, oh, we never lost a war. No, we did. We lost that one. We lost that one pretty bad. Uh, but we're still here. It wasn't really threatening us. Um, I got one minute. I have a bunch of calls. So we'll, we'll continue the next hour if you guys want to hold. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about this. I want to make sure that, you know, for, for this, part of why we have this discussion, and I think something maybe good of all this stuff happening is, we have to challenge what we believe and why. And I'll tell you what, if you've grown up maybe in a time where you have been, you know, if you're younger, maybe if you're under 35 or 40 and your education has been about what Chris was saying, tolerance, or or maybe it's about, you know, the intersectionality of whatever else, all of that stuff has fallen apart right now. And there's there's an opportunity for us to say, hey, maybe it's because some things are true and some things aren't, and there is right behavior and there is wrong behavior and there is actually evil and there is a savior from that evil. His name is Jesus. That is our point ultimately here. I got to take a break. We'll get to all of your calls when we come back as hour two of the Pastor Scott Show continues. You can follow me at Pastor Scott Show. Just look me up on social media at Pastor Scott Show. Give us a follow. We'll talk to you in just a couple of minutes as the Monday edition returns. Stay Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 